Is your accounting firm ready to deliver a modern client experience while improving your staff's efficiency? Surefile wants to help your business grow with user-friendly workflows and world-class security. You'll find new ways to exceed client expectations during tax, audit, and advisory engagements. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Sharefile, later in the episode. I remember one of my previous uh, clients, you know, CPA firm specializing in restaurants. You know, he would study the impact of uh, weather patterns on production of pork skins. And then he would go and advise his clients, go and buy pork skin now because you're, you're using XYZ amount. You will save about five, 6,000 if you buy now. Can you believe that? This was years ago. Just sure. one piece of advice. Yeah. That's amazing. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Hello, welcome back to the show. I'm Blake Oliver, CPA, joined today by Hitendra Patil. Hitendra, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Blake. So, so happy to be here with you. <laughs> I am very eager to speak to you because I've read your work for years. Thank You're very you. prolific. You write in CPA trend lines pretty often. Is that yeah. like a regular column that you do? Yeah, it's almost a regular column. Uh, it keeps yeah. churning out, uh, I think, every week once on an average. And of course, I do some other stuff as well. So, But CPA trend lines is like more a uh, preferred uh, thing for me. So everybody who subscribes to CPA Trendlines already knows that you are all about client accounting services. Yeah. I like to mm -hmm. just call it accounting services. Yeah. <laughs> Bookkeeping is another mm -hmm. term that some mm -hmm. people use. Um, and I'm curious, like, how did you get into the world of client accounting services? You were there really early, it seems like, um, probably Correct. since I started, which was you know, over a decade ago. Right. Yeah, so bookkeeping was like a typical normal word uh, so often used for uh, the work that accountants do and, of course, taxes, and uh, then you go into audit, different things. But uh, having done uh, bookkeeping work uh, behind the scenes as an outsourcing service provider for many, many CPA firms, I kind of knew like books is not something only for keeping. Books is for something to derive some insight and help the business owner to uh, you know, take advantage of uh, the the mind and experience and expertise of uh, the accountants, right? So I hated the word bookkeeping, uh, although it's still the norm to call them bookkeepers. But I, I prefer to call them ledger controllers in the bookkeepers, right? So that's the, uh, the thing that I realized that, look, if you control the books, you control the client mm. as a CPA. If and you control wait. the books, you control the client. Client, yeah, right? I like that. And, yeah, and from there, I thought, wait, uh, if I'm as a firm doing my own accounting, that's separate from the accounting that I do for clients, right? So everything we do to generate revenue is client accounting services, right? So that's how I think it came. I'm glad that the term became very popular. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were there before it was officially that term. Um, what, mm -hmm. what do you think about CAS as the acronym? What do you think about client accounting services? Do you like that? term or do you think it should be called something else? I think uh, it depends on where you are, which side of the story. If you're an accounting firm, you would want to call it likely CAS because everybody's into CAS. But look at it as a client, they don't know what CAS is. Right. Even if you put that on your website, what does it mean, right? Ultimately, it's coming to you for something. 
maybe a balance sheet, maybe a tax return, maybe compliance, maybe advice, insights, right? So it's like this, you know, when uh, you have a dental problem, I hope you don't, <laughs> but, but if you have a problem, you know, what will you search? Would you search like an orthodontist or something? That's hard. For us, it's like, okay, let me find who's the dentist out around here, and then you go to specialists, right? So like that, uh, you know, people come to accountants for certain things. They are not thinking in these terminologies at all. This is for more to uh, tell accountants, look, go this way, go into advisory or go into full-scale, full-service accounting so that you can help your clients a little better. So that terminology helps the profession but from the other side, the client side, I don't think it means much. What do you call it when you talk to clients? Or what, are, what do you see firms doing that works? Firms uh, do uh, take uh, umbrage under advisory, consulting, uh, yeah. business but, advisory. But it's bookkeeping. Kind of a lot of it's bookkeeping, right? So why are yeah. we calling it advisory and consulting? Yeah, so bookkeeping is the base thing. It's like you know putting uh, fuel in your car, but now you're going to drive. And mm -hmm. you're not driving just for the heck of it. You're going from point A to point B. There is a destination. Right? Otherwise, I don't know, it's on a Sunday morning, you're not going to work uh, if you're not working uh, from home. And then you start driving. Where do you go? You've got to have a destination, right? So bookkeeping is a vehicle that takes you to a destination. Without the vehicle, it will take you a long time to go there. Right? So it's an essential thing. But then you don't want to stop at just keeping the books, right? You want to keep the client moving forward and advance. And for that, you need uh, insights from the books, connect them with the dots in the client's heads, and then provide that advice. And that's why it goes to it. Without bookkeeping, can you do advisory? Post facto? Then you're going back to the same old story. You know, the, yeah, you everyone I've... Everyone I've talked to who mm -hmm. started out doing just advisory services mm -hmm. adds bookkeeping. Right. Because if you don't control the numbers, you can't yeah. guarantee the accuracy of your advice. Also, how do the numbers come to be? There is some decision being taken or right. made by the uh, business owner or not made. And that reflects in the numbers and in the books, yeah. uh, the transaction that you're entering. While you're looking at those transactions, you're, wait, why are you doing this? Why are you buying this inventory so much when there is no sales, right? Yeah. Well, and and, and you have to set up the books in a way that mm -hmm. gets you the numbers yeah. that, that, you, that you're talking about, right? Correct. And so if somebody else is doing the books mm -hmm. and they've got the chart of accounts set up a certain way, it yeah. might not get you the the trial balance, the financials yeah. in the end that you need to deliver your consulting to give Correct. like useful information to the uh, employer. And I see that a lot of the time with tax people who come from a tax focus set up the books to easily map into the return. But a tax return breakdown of expenses with a single line of revenue and just a bunch of opex operating expenses offers yeah. zero, almost zero value to a client. Yeah, from the a yeah, advisory standpoint. Same story. The destination is different. The destination is a tax return. Yeah. So that's for the government compliance, not for making the client better. Right. So your destinations are different. Of course, tax return is a must. You can't get away without filing one. Right. And so this is what I don't like about the messaging around CAS a lot of the time. Let me know what you think about this. Right. So mm -hmm. just based on what we just said. Most clients actually don't need consulting. They don't need advisory services. Mm -hmm. uh, that's my opinion, because they're too small and they know their business. They are often one person, maybe a, a few people, one person with assistance, like a lot of accounting firms. Most accounting firms are very small. Most small businesses are very small. 
and their business is simple and they don't plan to grow. And for that kind of business, all they need is tax compliance. That's why they hired you, right? They're not hiring you to be their coach. Correct. And mm -hmm. if they want that, they go buy that from somebody who does coaching. Mm -hmm. And so then we set up the books and we don't think about that. We set it up maybe like to give them all these insights and they don't want the insights. Correct. So, so if that person just needs their tax return done and that's why you're doing the books, then just do the books to get the tax return done. Do the bare minimum, right? And right. that means, you know, maybe you just do like essentially cloud-based write-up work. Mm-hmm. And then for the clients who do need the consultative advisory services, that's when you actually do the monthly accounting and you, you spend a lot of effort to get those books together and they will actually perhaps look at them. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so all the, from, you know, all the like messaging around CAS that I see from state societies and the ASEPA is very focused on this advisory stuff. Mm -hmm. But I would say 80% of businesses or more don't need it. And what they need is really just bookkeeping and taxes done. Correct. Yeah. So that actually reflects in the way uh, the profession's demographics is. You know, if you just go and you know, take a snapshot of government data, for example, or Bureau of Labor Statistics or Census, you'll find almost 90% of the firms are less than 19 people, about 70 or less than five people. Right? Yeah. And they're the ones who are really servicing uh, this mass of uh, mom and pop shop employers. Right? They don't want to grow or they just want, don't have the capital or the planning to grow. But there is just 10, 15% of each firm's client that can be growing. And uh, those are the clients who will pay you more as a for, to the firm. And then uh, if you're not able to offer a more insightful bookkeeping plus additional or I would say, let's say advanced bookkeeping service, right? then you're going to be losing those clients to the firms that offer. Right. So there is going to be this settlement of, okay, all low-end clients go to the kinds of firms that are not really doing anything on bookkeeping. They're focusing only on tax. Then the business is uh, seasonal. Then, uh, of course, uh, every well, But it doesn't have to be seasonal yeah. because if you do the bookkeeping, mm -hmm. you can do that year-round. You can. And then, yeah. then you have the data when it's time to do the tax return. Right. Mm -hmm. You have everything you need to do it, so there's not this huge compression that happens in tax season. Yeah, provide, you don't, yeah. You, you start tax season with zero info, and you have to get it all and then do the return in three months. Or, well, with the extensions, it's obviously, maybe it's six months by the time you get the info or whatever. But it's always compressed because you never get the info on time. Correct, correct. But if you mm. do the books, you have everything throughout the year, theoretically, Theor if you do it correct. right. Yeah. But yeah. it's like, you know, uh, you do your tax return and uh, see you next year, Mr. or Ms. Client. And in that case, if there's a business client, is the business going to pay you for monthly bookkeeping or is, are they going to bring those 12 months of you know backlog or behind the the work kind of uh, you know, books to you? And okay, now you do right. the books and file the tax. So as long as you have those uh, good enough clients who keep paying you to keep their books up to date, it's okay to just do bookkeeping for the ultimate destination of a tax return. Then you're not looking at advisory in that case at all, unless yeah. you really you know, have time. And well, you know, no, hmm? it's a kind, it's hmm. a kind of advisory. Yeah. Hmm? It's just, it's just very light advisory. Correct. Like, yeah. Because it's, hmm. it's what these clients need. They don't need somebody who's going to tell them when to hire employees Correct. or you know, yeah. help them get business financing. They don't need a CFO. That's correct. They just need mm -hmm. somebody to keep them compliant. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So, so maybe it's, mm -hmm. maybe the word is like compliance advisory or something like that. Yeah. It could be a little bit of a, a 
not so planned tax planning i would say you know you're doing books and whatever you know every month little little bookkeeping and you say wait you know why are you spending this money directly this could be a depreciable item whatever little bit of a tax planning can come into picture while you are doing bookkeeping even for smaller clients maybe they don't pay you for that but if you're able to show value look end of the year i would have saved you x thousand dollars by just you know me looking over your books while i'm doing that maybe you're already in advisory <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I, I I saw this mm-hmm. report from the National Association of Tax Professionals mm-hmm. recently. It's their, their 2023 fee study. Mm-hmm. And it broke down what percentage of revenues in tax mm-hmm. offices mm-hmm. or tax firms are derived from tax prep versus other stuff. Mm-hmm. And the, the tax prep is 70% on mm-hmm. average. Mm-hmm. The tax planning is only 5%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bookkeeping is only 12%. Mm-hmm. Bookkeeping slash monthly accounting. Okay. And that to me is just like the fact that we're calling it client advisory services, or that's what CPA.com calls it. And then we have, you know, only 5% of firms doing tax planning seems insane to me. Like we could just, let's just do the tax planning, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, Start right. with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you yeah. you see, uh, if only 12% of the income is coming from bookkeeping, that is 88% books are being done by somebody else. And based on that, you're doing your tax returns, right? Yeah. So then again, it's a rear view mirror. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess what we're exploring here, what we've identified is that the definition of caste is like incredibly vague mm-hmm. and broad. Yeah. And I think firms need to, I mean, tell me if you agree, firms need to know what kind of caste they're doing. Yeah, exactly. I've been telling that, look, uh, don't go by anything that you read in the market. You define caste for your firm. What do you want to do? what you're great at, what makes you uh, happier. You you observe yourself, some work you do, and you're like always swearing, oh, gosh, and that's like, that's not the work that you want to do. But whereas some other work really, you know, uh, excites you, if that is falling within that cast umbrella, that's your cast. So you have to define cast for your firm. And that will keep changing. You add more expertise, you add more staff, maybe you get better different clients, your cast definition will change. So cast isn't actually what we were supposed to start talking (laughs) about here today, Hitendro. Mm -hmm. Uh, The plan that we came up with that I totally derailed us from was to talk about the staffing shortage. Uh But I guess this all ties together because CAS bookkeeping is the number one growing service area in firms. I don't think we mentioned that. It's over 10% of CPA firm revenues now. It's probably higher. I mean, because that data is years old. Uh, it's growing rapidly. And so getting the staff to staff these CAS engagements, um, these especially do monthly accounting, is really hard. It is. <laughs> and so we have, I think it's obvious, I don't think we need to go over the stats. Everyone knows who's been paying attention that we have a talent crunch. We have a talent shortage in the profession. Uh, 300,000 accountants and auditors quit in the United States in the last few years. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to know, I'm asking this of everyone I talk to, Hitendra, what do you think is the the disease (laughs) that is causing this staffing shortage? Good. I'm I'm glad that you called it a disease because I I start with uh, staffing shortage is a symptom of an underlying something. I don't know whether you call it disease or whatever, but there is a cause, right? It's like this, you know, you have a body temperature 
So that's not the disease. You go to the doctor and they figure out, oh, there is a viral infection. That's why there's uh, a temperature, right? So the symptom and the cause, the, the symptoms are clear. Staffing shortage, that's a measurable symptom. But what's the cause? And there, of course, a lot of uh, stuff is being said, the research is being done, a lot of actions are being taken by you know, regulators as well as whosoever is concerned with the profession. They're all trying to take actions. But what's the cause? And I was just talking to a really influential person in the profession, uh, very much a thought leader. And it's like saying, look, we wear hard work as a badge of honor in the profession. And that's not something that might really uh, you know, impress the new incoming talent. You know, if you look at the number of students enrolling for the account graduate degrees, you know, then that shows a constant decline. You know, I was just reading some numbers and it's like... Uh, double, triple uh, the ratio, ratio or rate of decline, uh, con considering, you know, let's say 2015, 16 kind of averages, right? Why is that? Right. So obviously the signals to the population are different. Accounting is a complicated profession. Maybe uh, this requires a lot of hard work and uh, the returns may not be as, as good. Then there are other shiny professions that have come into being last 15, 20 years. Technology one amongst them. And then many other industries have these celebrities, right? You take technology, you've got like massive stardom uh, for some CEOs of those technology companies, right? I'm still right. finding, you know, who is a celebrity accountant that uh, every child in this country would know, right? So we don't have those. Yeah, they don't know them as accountants. They know them as the celebrities they became. Correct. But right. they, yeah. Like Bob Hope, right? Yeah. But very few people know very that few. he was an accountant. Correct, right? Yeah. So that's the problem. Who do you look? Uh, look up to when you're trying to decide, oh, let, let me go in accounting. And uh, the work is being perceived most likely as it's a grunt work. Uh, there's a lot of hard work. Uh, we don't know. It's just, you know, giving you a means of living. But then if you look at accounting as a profession that has a very high positive impact on the lives of people, that factor doesn't come out at all. Right. Mm. You know, I know of a Maryland CPA, you know, who, whose client was uh, almost giving up on IRS notice, 260,000 something in dues. And she fought the case and brought the penalty down to five, 6,000. Now, right. the person was willing to sell his house and become homeless along with the family. That's the impact an accountant can have. But this fact or the opportunities to impact lives uh, is not really published anywhere. It's not visible. Right. You know? So how do well, you how do you relate yeah. to that? So that's why the the underlying disease is just reflecting in the symptoms. How do we figure out? Now you take, uh, for example, the job advertisement of an accounting firm. Go and take a look at that. It, it sounds grind you know, when you look at that. Yeah. <laughs> this episode of the Earmark Podcast is sponsored by ShareFile. ShareFile is a secure, easy-to-use technology that helps you deliver a modern client experience and streamlines your document-heavy workflows. ShareFile makes it simple and secure to work with clients and enhances your internal processes to improve overall satisfaction and experience. With ShareFile, you can provide easy-to-use client portals, accelerate PBC list process, simplify client communication, deliver e-signatures, and so much more. Whether you're working in the office or remotely, ShareFile lets you seamlessly collaborate with clients and streamline repetitive tasks, all securely and in one tool. ShareFile also integrates with your existing processes and is optimized for tax, audit, and advisory engagements in mind. It helps firms like yours keep your teams close and your clients even closer. ShareFile helps you enhance client onboarding, 
organize and simplify document collection, and orchestrate secure document exchange. It gives you complete visibility into document workflows that speed up client services and ultimately helps your firm work more efficiently with less resources. If you're ready to elevate your client's expectations and your firm's efficiency to the next level with ShareFile, head over to earmarkcpe.promo slash ShareFile. That is earmarkcpe.promo forward slash S-H-A-R-E-F-I-L-E. Yeah, it's true. Yep. It's true. Um, and the pay yep. is pay. not great, right? right? That's mm-hmm. I, I, When I look at boards like Reddit, mm-hmm. which is a great place to go, yep. um, mm-hmm. you know, if you're older than me, you probably have never been on Reddit, right? I'm four oh, years uh, old. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like, I got on there, I don't know, five years ago or something, and I started reading about accounting, and there's an accounting subreddit, and people post what they like and what they don't like, mostly what they don't like. So it's a great place to find out what people don't like. Right. Uh-huh. And it comes back to two things that people complain about. They complain about the hours. They complain about the lower pay than their peers in the, their friends from college. Right. And then I think also like some of the complaints just about like the uh, the clients, the work, the firm. Like it's very pain. It seems like there's a lot of pain every month around just getting what you need to do your job, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's frustrating. Maybe that's the word. It's frustrating. So are those, and so you're saying, so those are the symptoms or the, those aren't symptoms, but those are like what I have identified as the disease, perhaps mm-hmm. parts of it. Or maybe those are, in our analogy, I don't know what those are, right? Those are clues. Mm-hmm. You're saying the hard work is a badge of honor thing. That stuck with me. Hard work is a badge of honor. I was just talking with, Peter Alinto, Peter Alinto, who's the uh, you know famous Becker CPA review prep uh, exa- host, like tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, have taken his courses on CPA exam prep. And the thing that strikes me about like his style is he talks constantly in the exam prep videos to encourage the students to get through it. He talks about the money, right? And it's hard work, right? But you're gonna. You're going to tell your girlfriend, sorry, I can't go on a date tonight. And you're going to tell your family, sorry, I can't hang with you. But guess what? It's all going to pay off in the end. And he's really good at inspiring people with that, right? But then that never ends in accounting, right? There's no, like, it doesn't stop after the CPA exam. It just keeps going once you're in as a a staffer, Mm -hmm. as a staff. And then it keeps going you know, all the way through. And even the partners are working long hours. I saw a study that said they were working longer hours than the staff. Mm -hmm. So like, people can't keep that up forever. Correct. Mm -hmm. Right? I I wonder if that is, people say time and money, right? But I mean, maybe, I don't know. What do you think it is? Do you think, do you agree with that? Is that what, like, do you see that problem in the firms that you work with? You know, uh, uh, when I was growing up, uh, I uh, heard uh, kind of a proverb which says something like, you know, when you have teeth, you don't have hazelnuts. And when you finally can afford buying hazelnuts, you don't have teeth. <laughs> right? So, so today's generation uh, has seen you know, what's happening in the world, what's possible. They want to have yeah. the teeth and they have, want to have the hazelnuts at, when they have the teeth, right? And yeah. a typical, you know, vacation travel, for example, is part of the agenda for every single, uh, you know, person that's coming on board now. And at the same time, if you really relate that to the economics of the profession, 
I think accounting is still a profession that's among the top 20 most profitable professions in the country. So where is that money going? Right? Who's producing that money? And whether it is equitably getting distributed to the right people at the right time? I, I, I don't know. I don't have the data and stats on that, but there seems to be a disconnect there. Right. And right. The staff yeah. staff are paid on average fifty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some areas, it's higher, and at some firms, it's higher. But on average, it's like fifty thousand dollars a year, which is what it's been for twenty years or something. Right. Exactly. In fact, uh, I'm just running a recent survey on CPTL, and it's still on. And initial results are showing that you know staffing shortage is number one uh, problem. Burnout is the effect. Work-life balance is messed up. That's the effect. And to cope up, what's happening? Firms are turning away work. Strange. And at the same time, firms are also uh, looking to increase the compensation to retain the staff. Why did you have to come to this to, you know, when the staff starts going, you increase? People say, yeah. sorry to interrupt, mm-hmm. Tender, but I hear this a lot. I yeah. hear that mm-hmm. salaries are going up, yeah. right? The mm-hmm. shortage will cause salaries to go up. But Maybe I see that happening a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I also see happening more is firms going offshore. Right. So mm-hmm. a great example is BDO, which is, I don't know, one of the top 10 accounting firms in the country and one of the biggest in the world mm-hmm. is is doubling their Indian offshore operation from 2,500 to 5,000. And I yeah. spoke mm-hmm. to the CEO of BDO, Wayne Burson, and he told me, I don't know what his exact words, but he said it was like a shame to paraphrase him that we have to, we can't hire people in the US that we have to go offshore to do it. Yeah. You know? Right. And, and like, it just seems crazy to me that, you know, we're a country of 300 million people mm-hmm. and we say we can't find enough accountants. Right. So, in fact, uh, I also spoke to Wayne uh, quite some time ago, and he did mention that his India operations will be the largest for BDO in any country. By the way, I represent an offshore accounting outsourcing company right now. And uh, it's like globalization kicking in. You don't have talent uh, in a place, but there is abundant of talent in another place, another country. Those boundaries are, you know, kind of dissolving. You know, people still have to go ahead, hire people, you know, service the clients. There is a need. You can't say, okay, we won't do accounting for anyone or less number of businesses. That's going to be having a bad impact on the economy. So people are looking at hiring in those locations where the supply is uh, much higher and right. uh, you know, get get along with it. And uh, I, I heard from a recent uh, conference, you know, it was said on the stage. I, I would have been surprised if somebody said that on stage, let's say, five, ten years ago that offshoring uh, or outsourcing, which used to be a pure profit play in those days, 10 years ago, has now become a survival play. And uh, to hear that in a room full of uh, accountants, obviously it reflects what uh, everybody's hearing about. I I would agree with you. I would say that 10 years ago, definitely 20 years ago, offshoring had a pejorative, like it was was a negative connotation people didn't like. Right. Every time you talk about offshoring, people would get a like a, a look in their eyes. And I think it's because it was done very poorly for a long time. Yeah, that's right. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the experience, you know, and the tools were bad. The technology was bad. The turnaround times were incredibly slow. That's right. Yep. And so it was very frustrating. It was. But now, mm-hmm. you know, we can work asynchronously. And, you know, it, it's still a challenge. Like, I, I mean, I work with somebody who is uh, 12 hours apart from me, right? So that's like coordinating schedules to get together is 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 a little challenging right um 
but we've over we we figured out how to do it better, especially now that we're all working remotely. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. That so, helped. That helped. The pandemic uh, making everybody go remote, uh, and people saw that look, everything is possible without being in the office. So whether somebody not in your office is ten thousand miles away doesn't make a difference. Fortunately, technology is helping. And uh, one of my favorite things to say is, look, uh, when you do this arrangement, what you're doing is you're generating maybe 12 to 16 hours of productivity in a 24-hour day versus an eight-hour day, right? So your right. growth is being managed by this expanded capacity. And at the same time, you're delivering the work in the same time zone. So it's a win-win for uh, most of the firms who are growing or who are intent on growing. For them, you said it's in the same time zone? How does it Yeah, so I for example, India, let's say, 12 uh, hours behind, right? So when yeah. uh, US is sleeping, India is working, right? And overnight, you're getting the work done. So you're adding that. You're not saying that, look, whatever X number of people I have, some of the work I'll take and give it to India or whatever country. So you're saying, I'm not able to handle the growth and I'm just, you know, turning away work. Instead, I will create a capacity in another country, which is what likes of BDOs mm -hmm. and all big fours have done for years and years together, right? right. So you're technically adding capacity to your firm to be able to leverage that to service the clients here in the US, right? Which otherwise you would not be able to do unless you know you really hired a lot of people and which is where talent shortage starts hurting because now you can't hire at a reasonable price and hence maintain reasonable profitability and all that stuff. But at the same time, even if you want to pay more, you still can't find people. So what do you do then? Yeah. Right? Hmm? Well, so the offshoring is, it's a solution Mm -hmm. that firms have embraced because what else are they going to do, basically, right? <laughs> they have no other option. Right. <laughs> um, but I wonder how long will even the offshoring work, like solve the problem? Because, you know, Americans in a few generations have become more and more interested in, I would say, the the finer things in life, right? This is what happens as a civilization or a, as a culture develops, right? right. You, mm -hmm. you go from all I do is work, eat, procreate and die yeah. to mm -hmm. uh, what I experienced when I visited Italy, which is we live to enjoy life and we work to enjoy so that we can afford to enjoy life. Right. Uh -huh. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of like the continuum of cultures and, you know, America is a really young culture. Right. Uh, and so we've kind of just gotten to this point where I think like my generation is starting to say, no, we're not going to work eight hour days. Like, it's it's like the old twelve hour day or the ten hour day, right? We we say we wanna we don't want to commute. Mm -hmm. um, we want to spend time with our families. We want to have time to work out. We want to have time for entertainment for ourselves. Right. And mm -hmm. work is just one of those things. It's not the dominant thing. Um, and so where I'm going with this is we're not alone in that. India is. And the rest of the world, you know, is developing too. And we have this global culture that's forming. So like, aren't, aren't young kids in India going to, you know, demand the same things that Americans want and not want to follow the same traditional model? So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you take the traditional accounting for model, here's my argument, Hitendra, tell me what you think. If you take the traditional accounting for model and you just export it to India, that's not going to work for very long. Mm -hmm. Okay, great question. Uh, you know, and it has uh, different connotations. One... You know, as long as uh, there is uh, this cost of living difference and the currency exchange rates favor your country, wherever you are, you'll always find uh, talent available in the countries where it produces them in large quantities, right? Right. So that, well, that gap, unless that gap kind of narrows, 
the exact same uh, experience that you're doing in, in having in US will not be there in that talent world in, let's say, in Indian, Philippines, or Asian countries, which are highly popular, right? right? But think about it this way, mm -hmm. from an economic standpoint, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you're really talented and you live in India, mm -hmm. you can work from anywhere now. Correct. So mm -hmm. there are more and more firms willing to hire people from anywhere. And what they pay you is more dependent on what you can bring them if they're smart. If they're a smart company, they'll say, hey, I know he's in India and we could probably try to pay him a lot less because of the cost of di living difference. But we're going to pay him US because that's what he can do, maybe even more than what a US employee can do, right? So like the all-stars will be able to make really good salaries anywhere in the world. Correct. Yeah. All-stars, yes, absolutely, yes. Uh... But how many of uh, the total population would be all-stars? You're still looking at a right. big chunk in the middle that yeah. is still available for anyone to uh, take advantage of this you know, differential. And because the talent is available, and the numbers are mind-boggling. Okay? The number of students that come out uh, in accounting. Uh, yeah, in India. What, like, yeah. Give me an idea of this. Mm -hmm. I know that we produce something like, in the U.S., 50,000, maybe 60,000 accountants every year. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we have a deficit. I think we need like 100,000 every year. So it's a long, big deficit. What are the numbers like in India? I wouldn't know exact numbers, but I'll just tell you some uh, real numbers. You know, you're yeah. talking of a population of, let's say, 1,400 million people, right? It's four <laughs> bigger than uh, a few million uh, graduates turning out every single year. I'm talking of tens of millions, of course, in different uh, education fields and you know, science and whatnot. But a lot of them are what they call commerce graduates there, commercial. This in accounting is a core part of that promising. That's a lot, you know, proportion-wise. So just in one Indian state, you would have so many commerce graduates that you might not find here uh, in the entire year coming out through various different colleges here. So the numbers could be three to four times more easily. That's my guess. Yeah. I can get you the numbers later, but great question. Oh, no, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's four times bigger population. So even, let's say even the number, let's just say the number of accounting grads is proportional, which is probably a lot more, right? A lot more, right, yeah. That, mm -hmm. So so let's say, it's, let's say it's double and then quadruple. Quadruple, right. right? And yeah. we're talking about like half a million accountants every year coming out. Mm -hmm. You know, and that that would make up the difference. Just that, you know, half a million. Let's say, yeah. I'm just I'm just guessing here, right? Right. But that would make up the entire amount of accountants and auditors we lost. Correct. In the and last plus, two years. Uh, India is a young country. The average age uh, there of the population like 34, 35, maybe. So a lot of them the 50s, are, I think. yeah, a lot of yeah. them are still in 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 the working uh, population, right? Yeah. 35 may be the average, let's say, right? In that case, they're still going to be in the profession for a good 15, 20, 25 years. So a lot of population is still available working with good number of years of experience, 5, 10, 15 years experience, plus the new staff. So there is a big chunk out there, yeah. I saw a study from Corn Ferry a few years ago that I talk about in almost every talk I do when I mention the talent shortage. Um, it's called the Global Talent Crunch. And they forecast that by 2030, the only major country in the world that will have a surplus of professionals is India. Every other country, the United States, uh, Japan's already there. Right. Um, Russia, um, the all the EU is there already. Even the even like the Philippines will have a shortage of professionals. India is the only country that will have a surplus. Exactly right. Yeah. And 
So I wonder if this might sound like a crazy thing, but in you know a few decades, maybe in another generation, will the big four accounting firms be headquartered, you know, in India? Hmm. Because their workforce, based on how they operate, unless they change their business model, the only place that people are they're going to be able to hire is in India. Right, it's like uh, your manufacturing uh, you know, operations mostly being handled from China right now, right? Right. Yeah. So headquarters maybe here. Apple is here. Yeah. That's a great. That's yeah. a great analogy. That's a great yeah. example, right? Yeah. Right. We did this with manufacturing. Yep. Yeah. We decided that instead of building up more capacity here, we're just going to send it all over to China because it's cheaper. Yeah. Cheaper. Uh, and now yeah. we're doing the exact same thing with services. Right. We'd be better off if we brought the people here economically. Right, because we'd get the benefit of the growth. But because we don't have, we, we, because our population opposes immigration, you know, we, we, we're going to send, we're going to send the jobs overseas. It yeah, seems kind of crazy to me. It, it is kind of, but it's like, you know, what's visible versus what's like, you know, hits your mind quickly. Say, you know, if you want to look at your t-shirt that you're wearing and where is it manufactured? We, we never look at that when you go and buy. Right. Most likely yeah. it's not manufactured here. We're okay with yeah. that. You know, we buy stuff, we buy headphones, we buy, you know, tools, furniture, whatever. Where is it manufactured? Right. We, we don't think too much. But when it comes to uh, the educated jobs kind of stuff, we start looking at those things. Not a bad thing to do. But at the same time, what are we looking at as a value? Is, if, is, is this whole thing producing value for us? Wherever that value is sourced from is not the real question. But are we getting the benefit of that value? If that's yeah. like well, understood, okay, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and so in manufacturing, mm -hmm. when we offshored manufacturing, we got the benefit of cheaper goods. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So our our standard of living skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. And now, if you are in like an upper middle class American, or even mm -hmm. honestly middle class, you can mm -hmm. pretty much have all the <laughs> toys you want. Yeah. Right. Like you can have the big screen TV and the video game system and all the media and like this is stuff that was unimaginable. But we also lost those really good jobs, and now we regret it. Like the labor movement in our country, really, you know, is is trying to bring that stuff back. And now we're trying to bring it all back because we realize that like it doesn't help to have all these cheap goods if there's nobody to buy them. That is correct. So uh, it is a dual-edged sword. While the commercial interests are served, uh, you are still talking of the job opportunities and uh, the livelihood uh, opportunities for people. And whenever yeah. there is a possibility of a replacement or a displacement, uh, you got to do something about it systematically, you know. So for the same example, you know, with AI coming in and all that, you know, there's so much fear of job losses and people need to be retrained, cross-trained, uh, skilled up and all that. So why are we talking that? Because there's a fear, right? Any, any, any adjustment that the industry does has to be seen from a wholesome point of view, not just one commercial angle. And obviously, you know, as a entrepreneur, you're, typically looking at profit as one of the key motives. In that case, you're not going to look at this uh, so much. But at the same time, but if an industry is facing a shortage like this, where you can't meet up the demand, and that can have a devastating effect on the economy, people being non-compliant, you know, and not being able to leverage the knowledge of accountants to you know, drive their businesses up or save their taxes or whatever, you're just leaving the population in a need that they cannot uh, ever uh, get satisfied because there is shortage. Yeah. In that case, this is a good thing that, okay, wherever it, uh, it comes from, let's just do things that are required 
to keep things compliant, keep things doing, you know, going better and all that. That's okay. Right. But as long as you look at it that way, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and, and I don't, I want to make it clear. I don't think that there's anything wrong with offshoring. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, if we go back to our analogy of the medical diagnosis, offshoring is like the stint or the, is they call it a stunt? Stent. A stent. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a stent that you put in yep. to somebody's heart to keep it going, right? It's 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 absolutely essential and necessary and a good thing to have, um, but it doesn't cure the underlying disease. That's right. Yeah. So, can we go back to the disease? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if I could summarize what I said, it was like burnout is the number one cause of the disease right now. Um, would you agree? It's it's is burnout the right term? Yeah, burnout is the still the symptom or the impact of the disease. Burnout is happening okay. because you're not hiring enough people, and your existing people have to stretch and stretch and stretch. That's that's what is leading to burnout. Okay, so burnout's a symptom. So yeah. what is the disease? Yeah, the disease is uh, what are you offering to the talent in terms of attracting them, keeping them happy on their definitions of happiness, not yours, right? And uh, making sure that your growth is planned in such a way that you're not going beyond those stretch limits that you keep defining, right? Okay, so can I say overwork? Overwork, yep. Overworking your staff causes the burnout. Correct, that's right. And that might be because, again, you're putting your firm out there as if it's a very hardworking firm. Or you're putting definition, standard work definition. This is what your job is. Right. In tax season, you're expected to work X, Y, Z hours and whatnot. Right. And why is that? Because you want to maintain your profitability in whichever way, which means you might be selling at a lower price, maybe. And that's why your profitability is lower. People are willing to pay more. Maybe you never dare to go and raise your prices. So there are a lot of these contributing factors that make it difficult for you as a firm to offer that good enough job to people who are incoming. Right. So so Mm. let's. What about what causes the disease? So um, we we have overwork. Mm-hmm. We have you know we're not creating the right work environment. What about hourly timesheets and billing? Because here's how I think that it leads to burnout. And mm-hmm. You can tell me what you think. So mm-hmm. when you incentivize people and you measure people based on hours, the only way that they can do a good job is to bill more hours. Correct. And the way mm-hmm. they can uh, stand out is to bill more hours than anyone else. And that causes them to overwork themselves, and that leads to burnout. So is is dropping the hourly model a solution? It could be. Uh, depends on how you really are able to get pricing from your clients. You can still measure you know, the productivity and all that. You can set expectation levels. Okay, this type of work should not take more than this time. But that's not the measurement. The measurement is the, the impact or the outcome. How you produce that? We don't, we, don't, we don't measure that in we our timesheets. We don't measure that in the timesheets, exactly. So right. that's the problem. The firm, most firms don't measure the, the impact at all. Right, right. So, and I, I believe uh, for all my life, accounting is an impact profession. You know, so there's a big, uh, big disconnect there. But then, yeah. so yeah. How, what do you measure then, right? So you're looking at, let's say you go to your client and say, okay, I'm going to give you balance sheet, tax, whatever, whatever, right? So the client is looking at something. I received this and hence I pay this. Now, suddenly you say uh, you received the same thing that you received last year, but this year it has taken us six hours more, so you're going to pay more. The client might pay you know, grudgingly, but he may not be happy, right? So what do you measure? 
that's the problem and in maintaining timesheets you're spending in another hour so seven hours of work and one hour of you know, creating timesheets but that's too much right well it's more like an hour at the end of the week making up the timesheets right. that you should have kept track of right. the week Correct. during the yeah. week and that then me anyway then on top of it end of it when you start uh, invoicing your clients you'll say write-offs okay yeah. i can't build this client so much right. let me <laughs> yeah so so like okay so you say accounting's an impact profession we aren't measuring the impact. We should be measuring the impact. What should we be? How do we measure impact? Measure impact in terms of what the clients are expecting, right? Again, in going back to your initial thing, that look, most of the clients are small businesses. They don't want advisory or anything. For them, the impact is my tax return is good, filed timely, and I'm not paying more a single dollar more than what I'm supposed to pay according to the law. So that's still an impact. Like, you know, yes, we, we assure you that you're not paying a dollar more than what you're legally required to. Okay, that's the satisfaction, right? Well, and, yeah. and you know, that's fair because yeah. mm -hmm. um, uh, studies show that mm -hmm. Americans who do their own taxes spend, I forget what it is, but it's like days yeah. of time. Right. So mm -hmm. if you think about it, in a year, somebody might spend like 1% of their life mm -hmm. doing their taxes. And if you right. can give them back those like three days, yeah. that's an impact. Yeah, and especially with the newer generation who, who uh, values time more, personal time, family yes. time, even yes. better. So you got Even to relate, relate that to this. Look, you know, by doing this, here is what you get. And tax return is just a delivery. So yeah? right. So then, so then, if we're if we're saying the impact is saving time for our clients, mm -hmm. then we should be measuring stuff like mm -hmm. how quickly we turned around the return. Right. You do uh, firms measure uh, this? Uh, not really time, because you're experts, you're professionals. You know, you'll do the tax return maybe in one third of the time, one tenth of the time, right? What I mean, what I mean by this when I say turn around, I don't mean from the from the firm's perspective. I mean from the yep. from me as the client. Let's say I'm the client, you're the firm, Atendra, and I send you all my stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. How long does it take you to turn around my return? That's true. That's true. Right. Correct. Do yeah. we measure that? Do I, Do you know any firms that measure that? I don't know, but I uh, remember uh, people talking about look. I have a system by which you will know where your tax return is. It's in preparation. Uh, yes. It's getting reviewed. It will be filed tomorrow. It's filed. So you can see the workflow status as a client. So that's like an incentive for the firm to say, look, don't call me. You're, you're going to be just disturbing me trying to find out on hundreds of thousands of you know, uh, returns that we're doing. Here is what it is. It's like the, the typical uh, Domino's pizza delivery system you can track, yeah. right? The tracker, yeah, yeah, yeah. the tracker. I mean, I've heard about this too, and I feel like that's really good to have. And I recommend every firm oh, do absolutely. something like that. Yeah, right. right. But, but uh, you know, you if I, I file my return and if uh, I give everything, I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Okay, I know, understand. CPA firm has a big uh, line of tax return you know, to be prepared. But if I get my tax return done in six days, file be done by 15 February, I'm out of that tax return cycle. I'll be happy. Then wait till the 10th April. Yeah, it's going. It's going. You know. So yeah. as a client, yes, absolutely yes. Hmm. So measuring the time it takes to get the return done, anything like what else could I'm just I'm just spitballing yeah, sure, here, yeah. brainstorming here. Like what else could we could firms measure that would measure the impact on the client? And and they could incentivize staff, right? Like and get your team focused on that metric. Yeah. So if you go beyond tax, you know, uh, the deadline uh, without deadlines sort of thing. Like for example, you're doing books in accounting and all that, and you're putting a little bit of an effort to see what's happening with the business. Can you say as a firm, for example, you know, on an average, 60% uh, of our clients see their cost of goods sold reduced by 
0.75% because we are putting a strong attention on the cost of goods and we are giving that advice. So in the end, you're talking of $12,000, $15,000 in a pocket more just by managing your finances better or making better financial decisions because we are giving you that insight. Can you quantify yeah. that? Most yeah. of the times you will see, you know, because you're handling the books, you will see the financial statements. What's happening? Are, they, are the firms, are, they, are your clients growing? Or even if they're not growing, are they, their bottom lines becoming healthier because you're putting your expertise to work? That is measurable, right? I 100% agree. Mm -hmm. if, if you are doing consulting that's designed to help a client reduce expenses or grow their revenue, you should measure that across all your clients and f know what that is so that you can tell your prospects, hey, this is this is the impact we have. Exactly, exactly right. Yeah, and I mean, even mm. if, even if it might be correlation, it might be causation, yeah. but like either way, it still, it means something. But yes, because uh, as of now, I don't know how many firms uh, really do that. And if uh, a client goes to three different accountants and hears this only from one accountant, he's going to be coming to your weight. Yeah, you like know? if I heard you'd say, Blake, work with me, all of my clients are growing revenue on average 10% per year. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're 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 guaranteed to grow your revenue. And by the way, if you don't, then I will, you know, give you a refund of X months or whatever. Right? Make it risk-free for them. Right. And then they go to the other accountant who says, and they ask, so how much do your clients grow their revenue? And they're like, I don't know. I have no idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, who are you going to sign up with? Exactly right. No. And it is, accounting is all measurable. Everything is numbers. Everything is measurable, right? And of course, yeah. it does take a bit of time. If you have like five, 600 business clients, it's difficult to keep track of all that data. But then you can still do it. You know, there are tools, you know, your pure gold Excel, Microsoft Excel will help you do that if you spend some time. But that's like a huge marketing, uh, you know, uh, USP yeah. that you will have. But this is just one example, right? It could be anything, not just, you know, cost saved or profit increased or less money stuck in inventory for that matter, you know. And that could be yeah. a, a huge thing for inventory heavy uh, businesses like restaurants where perishable inventories can just go, go spoiled, right? So you can save a ton of money. I remember one of my previous uh, clients, you know, a CPA firm specializing in restaurants. You know, he would study the impact of uh, weather patterns on production of pork skins. And then he would go and advise his clients, go and buy pork skin now because you're, you're using XYZ amount. You will save about five, 6,000 if you buy now. Can you believe that? This was years ago. Just one piece of advice. Yeah. That's amazing. And it was all no yeah. cloud, no automation, nothing, pure Excel. Because this guy was interested in knowing where is this restaurant spending more money? <laughs> I love that example, Chandra. <laughs> yeah. That is, what a great, yeah, yeah. So my takeaway from that is it doesn't have to be the whole world that you advise on. You can just become an expert in this one little thing for right. this type of client and just say like, it's sort of the same thing we do with tax, where we say, I'm going to minimize your tax liability. In advisory, you can say, look, I'm going to minimize your COGS for this industry because I know what it should be exactly. and I know what you should be paying. Right, right, right. Or mm -hmm. I'm going to do this to your revenue, right? right? Or mm -hmm. I'm going to do this for your, I don't know, if you, if you focus on like HR, it could be I'm going to do this for your benefits costs and cut that. So I like that. It simplifies things. It's a good place to start. Uh, Hitendra, before we run out of time, I would love for you to talk a bit about the organization you're with, helping accounting firms with offshore uh, resources, because as we've discussed, it's really important. It's a like necessity now if you want to grow. Um, every firm I know that is growing is doing it. Mm -hmm. So, um, And I think it's really important that people know about 
you and your organization because you obviously know a lot about this advisory bookkeeping line of work. And so, uh, you know, your organizations are set up to help firms that are growing that service sure. line. Thank so, you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for asking that. So I work with uh, Datapatics Business Solutions, Inc. So we are headquartered in India with uh, servicing clients in UK, US, of course, Canada, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand. And uh, we sell exclusively to CPA firms and accounting firms. We don't go to their clients. So the, the fear of, okay, you are an outsourcing company, you might take away my client, uh, is just not there. And That's good. What's yeah. the URL? datamaticscpa.com, D-A-T-A-M-A-T-I-C-S-C-P-A.com. Datamatics. Datamatics.com. CPA.com. Yeah. So we're part of Datamatics Group, which has been there for almost 40 plus years now in India. And uh, the group employs nearly 13,000 people, different companies, all technology driven. The name itself suggests that everything is about technology there. And we have another company, corporate finance, uh, outsourcing only. That company is in uh, Gartner's Magic Quadrant for the last two years. So we get leverage of that entire know-how of how to control the whole processes, make it most efficient and all that. And plus, because we work only with accounting and CPA firms, our whole focus is, you know, how do we do this work better? How do we make sure that the work is very predictable, reliable, so that you can focus? The same example of, you know, trying to find insights in the books. While we are taking care of all that data-intensive work, you know, your team members who are not happy dealing with lots of hard work or lots of grunt work, you know, they can start applying their expertise onto client situations. In that case, your move towards advisory is simplified. And plus, of course, you know, you have this advantage of uh, time zone differences, a uh, little bit of a cost advantage, of course. So this is a growth engine that we provide to CPA firms. And again, I'm, I joined this company only because we sell only to accountants. All my last 18 years, I worked only with accountants. So this is just continuation of me being part of the solution. And how big mm -hmm. or small can I be as a firm to work with Datamatics? If I'm solo, can I sign up with Datamatics? Do I need to be uh, 10 people? Do I need to be a certain revenue size? Like, how do you... So we do, do work pick? with the smaller entities as well. But generally, it's like uh, this. If the work is predictable in terms of volume flow, it's good for the client, good for us as well. So that becomes a better value proposition for both ends. So we do work with smaller entities. But uh, generally, our sweet spot starts like at 10 employees plus so that you have a good number of clients. You might say, okay, 100 odd clients in business clients for which you do accounting for. We do lots of uh, tax returns. Sorry, processing. when you say... <laughs> 10 mm. employees, mm. Um, 10 employees, like, does that mean I have like a firm of 10 here in the US? Mm -hmm. Or does that mean I hire 10 people in India? 10 people in the US, you already have 10 people. Okay. Then you're looking at, okay, I can move maybe two, three people work there and absorb more clientele in uh, the growth work. Because now most of the stuff is getting done in India and uh, right. data work. Especially the yeah. monthly accounting monthly is being account. done overnight correct. every right. day right. Correct. in India. Correct. So you, yeah. the effect is very uh, uh, interesting. I did a lot of Excel calculations on this. So the moment you actually uh, do this, you're first increasing your profitability and you're releasing hours. So both put together, when you start absorbing new client work, you can literally double your firm size in about two years. 
by doing about 25-30% of your work getting outsourced. So it sounds very uh, very difficult to believe. But the yeah, moment say you, that again. Say yeah, that so again. let's say you outsource about 25-30% of your current work because you're uh, generating more profit from that work. And right. also it is releasing more time for your current uh, staffing here. The number of new clients that you can sign up to fill up that time, uh, just the release time, will double your uh, revenue in about two years' time. And of course, if you keep growing and keep moving, you know, it keeps expanding. Your firms keep right. expanding. So we've had clients who, which kept growing all the time. They started with just one FTE, as they call, one full-time equivalent. You know, going uh, to 27, 30, 50 FTEs is not uncommon. I'm tempted to get back into accounting because I feel like with a combination of offshoring and mm -hmm. AI, uh -huh. I could run a firm here with just me in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and a team of people right. mm -hmm. putting everything in the books every day right. at night. Mm -hmm. And all I have to do is get on the phone with my clients. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of experience that goes into, like, being able to communicate the numbers Correct. to them. Correct, exactly. Yeah, right. It wouldn't take me a lot of time. Yeah. So... If you're entrepreneurial, would... uh, you're good at marketing or at least uh, convincing your clients, look, you know, don't worry about everything. I'm the one who's responsible. I'm going to take care. You don't worry about how. Any case, they don't want to know yeah. how are you well, producing. The clients, yeah. I find clients don't care yeah. about the work being offshored because yeah. they know that it's happening like in their social media. Correct. You right. know, they know mm -hmm. it's happening with everything else. Like right. the fact that their tax work or their accounting goes right. offshore, as long yeah. as it's a reputable company. Exactly. You right. know? Yeah. That's the, the key word there, reputable. Reliable. Yeah, you don't want to go into like some no. random guy off of Upwork on yeah. his laptop that's in a right. cyber cafe. That's exactly right. right. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. You know, in fact, this uh, the data security is so much so the zero level expectation in this business. You know, for me also, yeah. you know, uh, if I have to start my work on my laptop company provided, I first have to log into the company server, and from there you go. Like you know, so it's like controlled. Everything is controlled on my laptop. Yeah, because I don't want to you know uh, make you know go to some random stuff. And start working on something like an, from a Starbucks, for example. You don't want to go for accounting and tax work to such entities, you know. It's funny to me that's still like a concern that people have because yeah. you got the same problem here in the U.S. Yeah. with employees. It's like exactly it's it's no different. It doesn't matter where in the world you are anymore. The security yeah. can be exactly the same if you have the right technology stack. Got it. Exactly so. right. Exactly right. Hey, yeah. Itendra, mm -hmm. I want to be respectful of your time, and no. I really appreciate all of your insights today. Um, thanks so much for joining me, and I hope to speak with you again soon. Oh, absolutely. Uh, on some different topic of uh, common interest for the profession. Thank you for having me. Uh, fantastic uh, talking to you. And this was really a fun conversation. And I can guarantee uh, the listeners that this was not scripted, no questions, nothing. We just <laughs> flew uh, whichever way. Please. And like, uh, you've been known to be asking thought-provoking, you know, pot-stirring questions, if you will. So thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for the great conversation. Yeah, I, yeah. I appreciate you uh, uh, winging it with me. Thank so. you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something new. And if you did, wouldn't it be nice to get some CPE credit for it? Well, I've got great news. My new app, Earmark CPE, offers free NASPA-approved CPE credits for listening to podcasts, including this one. Visit earmarkcpe.com to download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. That's earmarkcpe.com.